Coming up on today's episode, we are talking NFL Week 7, everything from the 49ers losing their second game in a row to some of the more surprising games, the Patriots upsetting the Bills, the Ravens blowing at the Lions, and then we talk through who the best team in the NFL is right now. And then after we get ready for the NBA season, which is kicking off this week, and I go through my NBA League Pass rankings. So ranking every single team for this season based on watchability alone. Not how they're going to do, but based on which team you want to tune in. So some NBA and NFL coming up right after this. NFL Week 7 is in the books. Just finished watching uh, the Monday night football game between the 49ers and the Minnesota Vikings. And I did want to wait until after the Monday night game to give my recap. And frankly, I thought that would be with the 49ers getting back on track after their first loss in Week 6. But the Minnesota Vikings come out on top on Monday night football. And I want to hit a few games, but I do want to start with this Monday night game, which gave the 49ers their second loss in a row, of course, losing to the Browns right at the end of week six, and now the Vikings in week seven. As much as I would like to not admit, I've been saying this from the beginning, despite living in Seattle, despite being a Seahawks fan, I've been all over this 49ers team, as much as I hate to admit, I had the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I thought they were the team to beat. And while I don't want to overreact to two games in October, this does show the the flaws of this 49ers team. And I think it shows that that there's not one team in the NFL that is just going to run the table. I think that's really hard to do in the NFL. You are going to have slip-ups. You are going to have flaws. And I think we're seeing the those flaws come out in this 49ers team. Now, the big obvious one is injuries. And that's something that I've been saying. That's something that, frankly, everyone else has been saying. As good as this 49ers team is, if they start losing pieces, and specifically their most important pieces, then that's when things might start to fall apart. And you might say, yes, that's probably the case with every team. If you lose your best players, you're not going to be as good. But in the 49ers case, if they lose any combination of, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Trent Williams, who both Trent Williams, their left tackle and Debo Samuel were out in this game. If they lose, you know, Fred Warner on the defensive side, Nick Bosa, Traverius Ward, if they lose some of their big time pieces, then they seem a little bit more beatable. Because I'm still of the assumption that if they're fully healthy, they are the team to beat. The problem is all of those guys I named are either currently injured or have been known to be injury prone. So the first five weeks were great. They went 5-0. and But then that's when we saw Debo Samuel go out, Trent Williams, Christian McCaffrey. He played this game, but went out uh, midway through the game last week with an oblique injury. George Kittle, he's not exactly known to be super durable across all 17 games. 
So that's, that's the, the obvious one. That's the obvious reason and the obvious quote-unquote flaw in the 49ers is their injury concern. But I think once you get past that, they're still a good team. They're still a good team even if they are you know, out a couple guys. But I think we learned in this game against the Vikings a lot more of how to beat them than we did in Cleveland. Because the game last week, they had a field goal right at the end to win the game. Goes wide right. And it, was a, it was a sloppy game. The weather was a factor. Two good defensive teams. You know, you kind of chalk that one up to, that's an October game, you're not going to win everything. This Minnesota game was slightly different in the fact that we saw on the field a few ways to beat this 49ers team or a few ways that they might not win the Super Bowl. Now, everyone was talking about Brock Purdy and everyone says Purdy is the reason. And I'm not disagreeing and I will get to him in a second. But to me, the main reason they lost this game was really their defense. Nothing against Kirk Cousins and the Vikings offense. But it seemed like for most of the game, the Vikings were able to consistently move the ball on this supposedly really good 49ers defense. Now, some of it was just good plays by the Vikings. Some of it is luck. You know, the Vikings went 8 for 13 on third down. And just watching it, it seemed like a lot of those third downs were third and long. So credit Kirk Cousins, credit Jordan Addison, who's their rookie receiver, taking over for Justin Jefferson. They played well, and I don't want to take away from them. But it was those stops that the 49ers couldn't get of what I think at least did them in this game. And so that might be a recipe that other teams are starting to look at. And that recipe that the Vikings were able to you know, accomplish against this defense, it's probably one that one, establishes the run and then is able to get their passing game off of that and take advantage of some of those holes in the 49ers defense. And I know the Vikings, you know, they didn't run for, you know, 150 yards against this 49ers defense. But I do think a good rushing offense can can do a little damage against this 49ers defense. And again, it's all relative. I do think the 49ers have a really good defense. But there were definitely some holes. The 49ers, they came into the game third in rush defense by yards given up. So they're not giving up that many yards. But this is also a team that is probably playing from ahead a lot. So teams facing them aren't rushing the ball as much. And so if you look at DVOA, which I've talked about a few times before, coming in, they were 22nd in rush defense DVOA. And so that sort of shows that they're a little bit vulnerable to a good rushing attack. And while the Vikings probably have one of the worst rushing attacks, they were able to get enough, and then Kirk Cousins was able to do the rest, led by Jordan Addison, who I mentioned, TJ Hawkinson as well. So to me, the defense was what lost them the game. Again, at least relatively speaking, compared to what we expect from this defense. And then on the offensive side of the ball, they ran into, you know, some bad luck as well. It looked like one of the, the typical 49ers games where they jump out of head early. You know, the Vikings, they get the ball first. They throw a, an interception a couple plays in. 49ers, they're driving all the way down the field, get the ball in the red zone. McCaffrey fumbles 
around the 10 yard line or so. And then the Vikings go down and score and suddenly it's, it's flipped from what we're used to. So there was the, the fumble in the red zone, uh, a missed field goal by Jake Moody. And yet, despite all that, the 49ers still had a pretty good shot to win. They didn't get one shot, but they got two shots. And then it came down to Brock Purdy to try and lead them. And he throws not one, but two interceptions in those two drives. And that is what everyone is talking about. Now, Purdy, I'm going to sound like a, I'm defending Brock Purdy, and I never thought I'd see the day where I was defending Brock Purdy. But he played well up until those two drives. Yes, they didn't have Debo Samuel. Yes, they were missing their left tackle. But he still played well. I'm not going to say he played great, but he looked like typical Brock Purdy. The ball was coming out on time. He knew exactly where he was going to go. We even saw you know, some nice mobility from him. Ran away from a few sacks. But what it came down to is when they really needed him, when they needed him to, to get them through a drive, we saw him fail not once, but twice. And those two interceptions, not exactly, you know, unlucky, you know, not really on the quarterback interceptions. They were, you know, either not great or bad decision throws by him. So he definitely deserves the blame there. But I don't know, at least for me, if I've changed my opinion on Brock Purdy. Because at least for me, I never saw him as, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Somebody that you can rely on to win games. I always saw him as, you know, one of the best quarterbacks that's not going to win you games. He's just going to ensure he's not going to lose you games. And really, that's going to be the key for him moving forward. If the 49ers are healthy, and that's a big if, he doesn't have to do anything that's not needed of him. He just needs to go out and make sure that he doesn't do what he did in this game and lose the game for them. So a lot of people, they're coming out and saying Brock Purdy, not a good quarterback. It's time for Sam Darnold. He's finally, you know, hit his match, you know, being a a seventh round pick, all of that. He's still a good quarterback. He made two bad throws. He's not exactly who you'd want, you know, in in a crunch time, you know, two minute drive. But I still think he's good enough for the 49ers. We'll just see moving forward. If they really need him, can he step up in those situations? Now, the 49ers, with their loss, goes to 5-2. and two, And that was a big deal in Seattle. Because now, our Seahawks, sitting at 4-2, and two, of course, had an early bye. So one game short of the 49ers right now. Now they're in a position to potentially win the division which a couple weeks ago did not seem possible. Again, look like the 49ers. They'd probably run away with it. But now with a couple losses against teams that we didn't think, the Seahawks have a chance to push the 49ers now because they have two matchups against the 49ers still to come. First one comes Thanksgiving night. And so in about a month, uh, these two teams will play. And it could be those two matchups will decide the division. You know, as much as we... Maybe we're surprised by the Rams, surprised by Puka Nakua, surprised by some of the things they were doing. Doesn't look like they 
will compete for the division this year. You know, I like Stafford. Uh, I obviously love Puka Cooper Cup. You know, even though he still had two catchers, I still think he's one of the best. So those three, along with Aaron Donald and some others, they're good. I just don't know if they have the depth. You know, they played a couple of practice squad running backs in the game this week against the Steelers. So it's probably going to be between the Seahawks and 49ers for the division. And that's something that, again, a couple of weeks ago, us Seahawks fans didn't necessarily see. Now, quickly on the Seahawks, uh, before I move to other divisions, I would say they, they had a, a solid but maybe unspectacular win against the Cardinals at home. The Seahawks are definitely in a position right now that they're just trying to win games and get through to the following week. Because whether it's, you know, losing three out of your five offensive linemen any given week, whether it's guys like DK Metcalf, who didn't play this week, we didn't see Jamal Adams for a couple weeks, Devin Witherspoon didn't start the year, we learned this week that looks like one of their best uh, pass rushers and edge defenders, Uchenna Nwosu, is going to be out for the year. So the Seahawks have been dealing with injuries, you know, much like every team in the NFL these days. But if they can start to get healthy, and if they can specifically get healthy along the offensive line, that's what they're going for. And I feel like I've said this every week. I don't want to totally judge their offense until their offensive line comes back healthy. And I don't want to totally judge Geno Smith until that's the case as well. And I think Geno, you know, what, whatever you think of him, whatever you think, you know, his, his performance the last couple of weeks have been, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt at this point. Yes, it's been, you know, a rough couple of weeks. Yes, he's maybe not as great as he was last year. And maybe some of the magic of that first year isn't there. But he's also dealing with a rotating group of offensive linemen. Don't know who's going to start any given week. DK's been hurt. He's been banged up the last couple of weeks, working in a couple of rookie wide receivers. So the offense, I think, will be fine. And the good news for the Seahawks, the offense can be fine because of the defense and how they're improving. And so before the year, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, I had picked the 49ers in this division. Now I think the Seahawks have a legitimate chance and they have it because of the improvements on defense. So we're, we're starting to get back to, you know, Legion of Boom Daves here in Seattle where it's led by the defense and the offense just has to do enough. And so that, that 49ers Seahawks clash on Thanksgiving and then a couple weeks later in San Francisco as well, that will be a really good matchup. And that will be probably for the division, depending on who win those, wins those two games. A couple other teams I want to hit before uh, we wrap up. You know, I was looking through the standings, you know, looking through some of the results and what happened uh, this week in week seven. And, you know, I mentioned I had the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I thought they were one of the best teams. I don't think I can say that now. So if they're not, who's the best team in the NFL? At this point, you know, push comes to shove. I'm probably picking the Chiefs. Yes, a lot of that is due to their track record. But after all the, the offseason debate, after all the worry about, you know, they don't have wide receivers, Kelsey is a year older, 
Patrick Mahomes, he can only do so much. And then opening night, they lose to the Lions, who obviously have turned out to be a really good team outside of this week. So, you know, we're thinking, okay, maybe the, the Chiefs run, maybe this little mini dynasty, you know, maybe they need a reset. But then ever since then, Chiefs have rolled off six straight. They're now six and one. And that's now tied for the best record in the NFL. The Eagles are the other team. They're six and one as well. But this Chiefs team, yes, they haven't really played a hard schedule. You know, they beat the Chargers by a couple touchdowns this week. But because of Mahomes, because of Kelsey, doesn't look like either of those guys have slowed down. And because of their track record, they're probably the best bet to be the best team. And they're probably the best bet to win the Super Bowl at this point. Just because of, of how those two players are playing, how their defense has came around, how they you know, might have a little bit of a running game with Isaiah Pacheco. So couple that with just their, their knowledge of, of how to get there. So we will, we will see with this Chiefs team. Like I said, haven't really played a great schedule. You know, their toughest game was probably the Lions opening night. Of course, they lost that one. Ever since, they beat the Jaguars, the Bears, the Jets, the Vikings, Broncos, and Chargers. And outside of the Bears, none of the games have really been dominant. So I'm, you know, saying this with a little hesitation because they haven't, you know, looked like, you know, the big Chiefs teams that we've seen in past years. But I do think if you're crowning the best team right now, you probably say the Chiefs. Although in a few weeks, they do play the Dolphins and the Eagles, which will definitely give them a test. But it's probably between the Chiefs, Eagles, and if you're going recency bias, you can say the Ravens after they demolished the Lions 38-6 this week. But I'll go with probably the Chiefs or the Eagles just due to their track record. Speaking of the Eagles, they played in probably the game of the week, or at least the most anticipated game this week, in the Eagles and Dolphins on Sunday night. Two high-powered offenses, two really good teams, and it's, it was one of those games where do you think more highly of the Eagles or do you think less of the Dolphins after the result? And I'm probably a little bit of both, if I'm being honest, but I'm going to lean towards a little less highly of the Dolphins just because of how they've played against, let's say, better competition. The Dolphins season will probably always be remembered by their 70-point performance, beating Denver by 50. But outside of that, you know, they beat Chargers week one. They you know, beat the Patriots week two. They beat the Giants and the Panthers. Those are their wins. And then their two losses, they got blown out by the Bills. And then, uh, not really a blowout, but definitely got beat against the Eagles this week. So you have to wonder, are they a really fun offensive juggernaut? Just not a great team. And the question is, can they beat the really good teams? Because if they play an inferior opponent, they've shown they're just too overpowered for some of these teams. You know, whether it's nobody being able to guard Terry Kill, whether it's some combination of running backs that are just able to outrun everybody, 
if they play bad teams, they're able to put up a lot of points. But now the concern is, can they do that come playoff time against really good teams? And that's something I'm not saying is impossible for them, but I'm certainly concerned. And so I mentioned they play the Chiefs coming up in a couple weeks. Other than that, a relatively easy schedule the rest of the way. But then they do finish uh, their final three games, Cowboys, at the Ravens, and rematch against the Bills. And that three-game stretch will probably be their season. And I'm not saying they, they're not going to make the playoffs, anything like that. But if they're going to have any sort of momentum, if they're going to have any sort of shot to make the Super Bowl, they're going to have to perform against better teams. And then lastly, the most surprising game of the week, or at least biggest upset, whatever you want to call it, was the New England Patriots beating the Buffalo Bills 29-25. It, it looked like we were going to have to write off Bill Belichick. Looked like he was done. A lot of people have now brought up how he's probably going to break the record for most losses as a head coach before he breaks the record for most wins as a head coach. And you thought this is probably his last year in New England. It's time to restart. You know, Brady's been gone for a while. Mac Jones doesn't look like he's the quarterback. And yet they're able to go up against Buffalo who have their own issues now. And to me, probably pull off one of the biggest upsets of the year. You know, the Cardinals beating the Cowboys early. That was a big upset. The Jets last week pulling off the upset against the Eagles. But to me, the Patriots beating the Bills is up there. And that probably just shows after all these years, the Patriots still always beat the Bills. That might just be set in stone. Like all these games, I don't want to totally overreact to one game. I I still don't think Mac Jones is a great quarterback and the Patriots are probably best set up for, you know, tanking, getting one of these top college quarterbacks. But they do have pieces. And again, any given Sunday, we say this every week, any team can beat any team. And so we certainly learned that. And the Bills, uh, you know, they can be really good. Josh Allen, he can look great one week. He can look like the MVP. And then they can do this the following week. And so to me, the Bills are in the camp of like the Ravens, some of those other teams where they can look really good one week. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson looked great this week. And then they come back down to earth and they, they have a game like this week for the Bills. So that's one of the main reasons why the Chiefs, to me, are the safest pick for the Super Bowl, just because we know who they are. We know they're going to bring it. Yes, they're probably going to slip up at least one more time this year. But we know when it comes down to it, they know what it takes. And I don't know if we necessarily know about that with some of these other teams. I think that's all the games I want to hit. Uh, Not going to get too much college football this week. Penn State, Ohio State, that was supposedly the game of the week in college football. Third-ranked team versus seventh-ranked team. And frankly, it was kind of boring. But Ohio State came up on top. So they're certainly uh, in position to make the playoff. But they'll have to beat uh, Michigan first. So that will be a big matchup coming up in a few weeks. So it's probably Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, and the Huskies. 
who had their own problems this week. But we will talk more college football later. But I do want to get to some NBA because the NBA is starting this week. Uh, So I did a little league pass rankings coming up after the break. All right, we are recording this part of the podcast the weekend before uh, the NBA season kicks off. Opening night in the NBA this year is Tuesday, October 24th. I think it's going to be a really good and a really interesting NBA season. Lots of people now are, are talking about how the NBA regular season is getting less and less important, how it doesn't matter. And while I agree with that, I do think there are a lot of good storylines. There's really lots of good teams. I think this is as deep as the NBA has been, maybe ever. And there's a lot of really interesting and really good players on pretty much every team that I think will make this season at least somewhat interesting to watch. Yes, it'll really come down to the playoffs and all of that. But that doesn't mean the regular season won't be entertaining, won't have things to look for. I mean, as an example, the Spurs and Warriors played preseason game just yesterday. And the Spurs might be one of the worst teams. They had the, the first pick this past year. But with getting Victor Wimbanyama and just everything that he can do, and everything he showed, not only in the Warriors game, but the, the previous preseason games. The Spurs might have one of the worst records, but you're going to want to tune in and watch it. Now, yes, a lot of that is because of Victor. You know, some of the things he did against the Warriors, whether it was step-back mid-range shots, being able to step out consistently and hit a three-point shot. I think he blocked both Clay and Andrew Wiggins attempting to shoot a three where they thought they had enough space and against literally anybody else, they probably did. But of course, Victor has the reach to get out and block that. And then probably the most impressive thing he did was Andrew Wiggins gets the ball on the wing, thinks he's going to shoot, but of course, Victor's wingspan prevents him from doing that. He then starts to break down Victor, thinking, okay, I can't shoot over him, but I'm quicker, I'm faster. I can break him down. And not only does Victor stop the three-point attempt, he stops any sort of drive, and they end up blocking Wiggins on a a fadeaway mid-range shot. And that right there was probably one of the most impressive things you'll see. And yet for him, that'll probably be a weekly occurrence. So to me, that makes the Spurs like must-see TV. And they're one of the worst teams. So imagine all 29 other teams and what will be interesting to watch this year. So that got me thinking. With the NBA coming up, uh, we'll do more of a, a regular preview on you know who my championship pick is going to be, who's going to do best in the regular season, and all of that. But I want to spend today talking about who's worth watching and not just who's going to have the best record, but who are you going to want to tune in and see? So I put together uh, what I'm calling a little league pass rankings. Uh, League pass, if you don't know or don't have, is the out-of-market way for you to watch all 30 teams. So if you have it, you can go any given night and watch any team that you want, any game or matchup you want. 
So I put together a quick little uh, ranking from 30 to 1 of who I thought was the, the best team to watch and quote-unquote the worst team. So if all, all games were playing, if all teams were playing, who would I want to see the most or who would I want to see the least? So let's start at the bottom. I'm going to rip through a bunch of these. You know, I don't need to spend five minutes on each team. But kind of that first group at the bottom, I don't think they're going to be the worst teams necessarily. But to me, they're just all kind of boring. They all happen to be in the Eastern Conference. And they're all kind of in that mid to lower tier of, oh, yeah, they might be decent, might win a few games. But relatively speaking, I, don't, I just aren't as excited to watch them. So in 30th, uh, I have the Washington Wizards. 29, I might regret it. Might be surprising to some, but I have the Chicago Bulls at 29. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks at 28. And the Charlotte Hornets at 27. All of these teams, they have pieces. I think in the Bulls and the Hawks case, they're probably at least a mid-tier team and could surprise with maybe a little bit more. And they have good players. And that's what's so great about the NBA now is these worst teams, or in this case, the less exciting teams, they have really good players. You know, Trey Young with Atlanta. For some, and a few years ago, and maybe for some even still right now, one of the most dynamic and exciting players to watch. Chicago Bulls, item 29. Zach Levine's been in not only slam dunk competitions, but he's been in the three-point contest. He's been an all-star. So throw his excitement with, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic. And both the Bulls and the Hawks have good players. But to me, what all four of these teams have in common, I feel like I kind of know what they're going to be. Yes, the Hornets, you know, maybe Brandon Miller and LaMelo Ball, maybe they play well together. The Wizards, who I have last, you know, Jordan Poole, he might score 40 one night, he might score 50. But to me, I kind of know what they are. And I'm not going to be, oh, tuning in, I need to see a a Wizards-Hawks game. So to me, kind of the most boring teams were those four. But again, that's not to say these don't have really good players. I think the NBA is just so deep, so interesting, that these four kind of stood out as, to me, not really worth watching on a day-to-day basis. The next group of teams, let's say, uh, I'll list them first. Uh, The Utah Jazz, 26. Detroit Pistons, 25. The Blazers, 24. Indiana Pacers, 23. And Rockets, 22. To me, all of these teams really have good young pieces and pieces that I want to see play and see how they fit together. Now, this group is probably, you know, outside of maybe a couple teams, probably more of the, the lower end of the NBA in terms of standings, in terms of, you know, who you think might get a potential number one pick this coming year. But what separates them from the, the first set of teams I mentioned is those young pieces. You know, whether it's Cade Cunningham coming back for the Pistons, whether it's all the young guys that the Blazers are going to put out there and how are they going to fit with some of their new acquisitions. The Rockets, they are loaded with top picks, with super talented players. 
now they throw in Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks. How does that all work? I would really want to tune in and watch that. And then you have teams like the Pacers and the Jazz who, whether it's Tyrese Halliburton, I think one of the most exciting young players in the league, whether it's the surprise of, of Laurie Markkinen, Walker Kessler, Jordan Clarkson, everything the Jazz are doing, I think would be interesting to see how they're going to do in year number two. So to me, this is kind of the, the edge of teams where I'd be like, yeah, I would watch a game you know, on a random Tuesday night with some of these teams. Because I don't know exactly what I'm going to expect. And I want to tune in and find out. Are these teams going to be the best of the best? Probably not. But we will learn a lot about these teams. We'll see a lot of really interesting young players. And to me, this group is why the NBA is so deep. Because if you think these are, you know, some of the the worst teams in the league, they're all pretty good. And we talked about with my brother last week, the Blazers, you know, they might finish one of the worst records in the league. But this isn't like one of the worst teams from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. This is a pretty good lineup. You know, with Simons, with Scoot Henderson, we'll see what he brings. Bringing in DeAndre Ayton, Robert Williams. This is a good team. And if they finish one of the worst records, that's not necessarily an indictment on them. That just shows how deep the NBA is. Or if you look at the Eastern Conference, you know, the Pistons, you know, maybe they finish with one of the worst records. We'll see what Cade Cunningham comes back with. You know, if he comes back and, and looks like the star we think he could be, you know, then maybe it's different. But I think even if he is really good, there's still a chance they're one of the worst teams. But imagine 10, 15 years ago, the worst teams were pretty bad. But now the worst teams, you know, they're led by someone like Cade Cunningham, who just a couple of years ago we thought was one of the best young players coming into the NBA. So really deep, which is good for the league, good for, you know, people in Seattle, which means expansion is probably coming. And then good for just every fan, because any game that you want to watch, any team you want to watch, can be full of either good players or really intriguing young players. Let's go through the next uh, set of teams. Starting with number 21, the Toronto Raptors. New York Knicks, I have number 20. Miami Heat, 19. Memphis Grizzlies, 18. Cleveland Cavaliers, number 17. And the Sacramento Kings, number 16. I think this group is really, they're really just solid teams. They might not be as flashy as some others. They might not be you know, led by some really intriguing young players or really, really big superstars. But they're all really good teams. And I think if you're, you're wanting to watch, you know, some good basketball, some good playoff basketball, these teams are going to bring it. And don't get me wrong, it's not like they're just, oh, a solid collection of, of decent players. No, there's some really good players in this group. You know, the, the Raptors, led by Pascal Siakam, He's been an all-star. He's been an all-NBA guy. The Knicks, Jalen Brunson. I think when he's on, he's one of the more exciting players to watch. Then all the way down to like Sacramento Kings, I had 16. They were the, one of the most fun 
young and dynamic teams we had last year. And I feel like they're kind of an afterthought now, which they might like. They might like just kind of being an afterthought. But there's pretty much the same team last year, led by De'Aaron Fox, led by Sabonis. They're going to have one of the best offenses again this year. And they're going to play in really exciting games. But similar to you know how I mentioned the, the first set of teams, I feel like I kind of know what the Kings are. And they're going to be a really fun team. They're going to be in some really close games. They had a lot of really good games last year. But there's just a lot more storylines that I like with some other teams, which is why you know I have them down at number 16. But still, a lot of really fun teams in this group. And I think a lot of good games and a, and a lot of good players to watch out of this group. The next few teams, I have the Philadelphia 76ers at number 15, the Dallas Mavericks at 14, Minnesota Timberwolves at 13, and the Orlando Magic at number 12. To me, all of these teams, one, they're pretty good. And I think they just have so many storylines to watch or little extra storylines that would make me want to tune in and watch even more. Some of them, pretty self-explanatory. The 76ers, who knows if James Harden is going to play? Who knows if he's going to be on the team at all? But that dynamic, and then of course watching the, the reigning MVP Joel Embiid play, makes them a pretty easy choice here. The Mavericks, when you have two of the best, or at least most interesting players, in both Luka Doncic and Kyrie, you're going to be pretty high on the list. Some people might not like the, the ball-dominant play of Luka and, to a lesser extent, Kyrie. But they're two of the best, and I think worth watching. I don't know how they're going to work as a team, but it's going to be worth tuning in. And then the Timberwolves and Magic. To me, this is all centered around their young guys, and specifically Anthony Edwards and Paolo Banquero. They both played on Team USA this past summer. And do they take the step up? Do they take the Team USA step up of, I know I'm now one of the best. I got to practice with the best. Now I'm going to show I'm one of the best. I think they do, personally. I'm really high on both of those players. And I really want to tune in and find out how they do. So to me, that makes them stand out over some of the, the other good teams. Because I think in the NBA, whether you like it or not, stars run the league. And when you have two good stars, two young stars, and two really interesting stars in Anthony Edwards and Paolo Banquero, plus all the other things. You know, I don't mention Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert working together. Franz Wagner, who also played in the uh, FIBA World Championship this past year for Germany. Lots of interesting storylines across both those teams, which is why I have them pretty high. Uh, the next set of teams, I kind of threw all these teams together, mainly because it depends on who's playing for them. So if everyone's playing, or if the right people are playing, I think they become must-see TV. And if they're not, they're going to be kind of boring. And yes, that applies to most teams. You know, if your good players are not playing, you're not going to be fun to watch. But for these teams in particular, I think it matters even more. 
and it matters because of who they are. And so you can probably guess some of these teams. Uh, but at number 11, I have the Brooklyn Nets. I've always been a huge Ben Simmons fan. It looks like he might actually be back. I don't want to overreact to preseason, but he looks healthy. He looks like he might actually play and be pretty good. And if he is, to me, you have to tune in and watch just because of everything that's happened. So if he's playing, they're going to be up there on my list of, yeah, I need to watch them on a a random Tuesday night. If he's not, they're still a fun team. Mikhail Bridges, I think, is really underrated. From a watchability standpoint, it's going to run through Ben Simmons. Number 10, uh, I have the LA Clippers. Pretty self-explanatory. If Kawhi and Paul George play, they're one of the best duos in the league. Problem is, they're not going to play a lot. At least that's been the case the last few years. So I have to kind of put them here. If they played, I think they're really fun to watch. If they don't, well, we've seen that the last few years. Number nine, I have the New Orleans Pelicans. And of course, this is all on Zion. If Zion plays with him, Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, they're a really good team. They're a really fun team. If Zion doesn't play, yeah, they're still a decent team, but not as fun to watch. And I think Zion is on the very, very short list of players that are worth tuning in just because of him. So if he's playing, you should watch. If he's not, yeah, the team gets less exciting. And then number eight, I had the San Antonio Spurs. Honestly, I had them way higher and I had to bring myself down of the Victor Wembanyama hype. So I'm putting them at number eight. I am expecting Victor to miss, you know, a decent amount of games, whether it's due to injury, whether it's due to injury prevention. I do think they're going to slow play him. And if he doesn't play, they're going to be one of the worst teams, or at least one of the least exciting teams. You know, I really like Devin Vassell. I like Malachi Branham, Jeremy Sohan on the team. They have some good players, but in the grand scheme of how deep and talented the NBA is, they're just not as exciting without Victor. But when he does play, they're going to have to shoot right up to the top. And if I'm looking for a game, if Victor's playing, I'm probably going to watch that. So I might have put them a little low. I didn't want to go too high, but I'm going Spurs at number eight. And then the last few teams, most of these teams are title contenders. And yes, these rankings aren't necessarily, you know, the best teams. But when you are one of the best teams, probably means you have good players and it makes you fun to watch. So that's what a lot of these teams are. Uh, Number seven, I have the Golden State Warriors. Six, the Lakers. Five, Nuggets. Four, Celtics. And number three, the Bucks. If we're ranking these teams on talent or who we think is going to potentially win the NBA Finals, probably shakes out a little bit different. But I thought this was a good representation of how kind of interesting at least the regular season will be for these teams. The Warriors and Lakers. I mentioned Zion is on a short list of players you have to tune in and watch. Steph Curry, he's probably, if not number one, he's going to be in the top couple of players you have to watch. So any team led by Curry, he's always going to be up high. The Lakers, 
you know, I will talk about them plenty over the next few months. I think they're going to be really good. And I think LeBron, Anthony Davis, when they're playing and healthy, the Lakers are deep. They're going to be fun to watch. And even when they don't play, I do think they're going to be still competitive and still fun, whether it's Austin Reeves, Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell. He's good for, you know, a game here and there. And then, of course, the Denver Nuggets, the reigning NBA champions. I feel like if you're the reigning champs, you have to be pretty high on this list. It's always fun to see how a team is going to respond, how a team is going to defend their title. But throw in the fact that Jokic is one of the most unselfish, one of the best passing big men we've ever seen. And that makes for a really fun team to watch. So if you're looking for really good basketball, the Nuggets are your team. And then the two probably favorites in the Eastern Conference, the Celtics and the Bucks. Of course, the Bucks made the big move for Damian Lillard. The Celtics then responded with the big move for Drew Holiday. We'll talk about this more when we preview, you know, actual NBA regular season and how we think teams are going to do. But to me, these are two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. I'm going to put the Bucks slightly ahead in terms of, you know, league pass rankings or watchability, just because I want to see how Damian Lillard and Giannis come together. I think especially early on, this is going to be must-see TV. Going to be really interesting to see how they, they come together. And we're going to have some really fun games with them. They complement each other really well. Just in the grand scheme of things, what they're really going to be judged on is come the playoffs. But the regular season, they're going to be a really fun team to watch. And same with the Celtics. Celtics are now really talented, really deep. They have a legit big four now. And I think any given day, they're going to be really fun to watch. They're just going to be judged on the playoffs come April, May, and June. And then the final two teams I have, you can probably guess one of them. The other one might be surprising to some, and I might have them a little bit too high on these rankings. But I have the Oklahoma City Thunder as my number two team, and then the Phoenix Suns as my number one team to watch this coming year. The Suns are more self-explanatory, so let's start with the Thunder. I think the Thunder are a really good mix of talent, of intriguing pieces, of lots of young guys getting better and better, and entertaining basketball. So I think if you're kind of ranking how fun a team is to watch, they're kind of a perfect mix. So if you don't know the Thunder, they're very young, but they're very talented. They have one of the best players in the league in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. They have one of the most intriguing pieces in Chet Holmgren. You know, all the attention is going to go to Victor, and rightfully so. But it was only a year or two ago that Chet was the, you know, alien that we thought was going to change the NBA. There just happened to be a guy coming a year later that was, you know, two inches taller than him and can do more. But Chet is going to be really good. He's going to be really fun to watch. And then throw in young pieces like Jalen Williams, like Josh Giddy, who are not only young, they're both still, you know, 21, but they're also really good. So between those four, throw in a couple other pieces that I think are going to be good for them. And that's a really good, exciting young core. 
And to me, they play really entertaining basketball. I mentioned SGA, one of the best players. He's always fun to watch. Josh Giddy, he's one of my personal favorite players in the NBA. His size, his smarts, his ability to you know, attack the basket at 6'8", but then also be able to facilitate and be kind of a, you know, I throw this out very loosely, but Magic Johnson type point guard. Chet Holmgren, his, his unique size will be really exciting to watch. So to me, there's just a, a really good mix of, of young players that you want to tune in to watch, but then also just really exciting basketball. So I might be more high on them in terms of watchability than some, but I had to put them up really high. And then number one, again, more self-explanatory, the Phoenix Suns. We can debate later if we think it's going to be them coming out of the Western Conference. And they most certainly could. They have the talent. But in terms of day-to-day in the regular season, when you put Kevin Durant, when you put Devin Booker, and now bring in Bradley Beal, that's one of the more unique big threes we've had, just in the sense of any of them can score 30 on any given night. And the fact that they're all together is going to make for some really entertaining basketball. Now, will they work together? Will they be able to put it all together? Will they be able to get enough complimentary pieces, enough defense, all of that? Who knows? And we will talk about that later. But if you just put Booker and Durant together, to me, that's really exciting to watch. Throw in Bradley Beal, who led the league in scoring just a couple years ago. This could be one of the most fun teams to watch, at least on the offensive end we've had in a while. So I had to put them at number one in the league pass rankings. But again, we will go through plenty more NBA stuff in the coming weeks make our picks, see who's going to do well, who we think is going to arise, who's going to fall, all of that sort of stuff. This was just the start of a bunch of NBA stuff and get you set on what I think will be a really exciting NBA season to watch. That will do it for today's episode. We will be back this weekend covering the start of the World Series. We now have a World Series matchup between the Rangers and Diamondbacks. So we'll get to some of that. We'll get into some basketball, recap the WNBA season, and then of course some more NFL and college football in the weeks ahead. So make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we will see you on Sunday.